This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now we're entering a new year with a major war in Europe. On February 24th, Russia invaded Ukraine. It was expected uh, by the Russians that they would soon take the capital, Kiev, and that it would be over in very short order, maybe less than a month. Now we're 10 months in and counting, and it's a major problem for Russia, for the people of Ukraine, and indeed maybe for all of us in Europe and wider afield because this war has assumed dimensions that were inconceivable really when it began and guiding us through the significant moments in this war, particularly on the battlefield. Uh, Senator Tom Clonan, who is a security analyst, he's an author and a retired Irish captain. He was elected to the Senate in March 2022 and you're very welcome to the program Tom, you would know because you served in South Lebanon, you know the dangers of of that place. You were there in a particularly bad time when the Israelis had launched Operation Grapes of Wrath against Hezbollah, uh, which culminated in a massacre of refugees in, in April 1996. And you would, of course, be aware of the dangers that you, the Irish soldiers serving the UN have to face, and no doubt. I'd just like to ask you about the two casualties that the Irish forces uh, took, the death of Private Sean Rooney, a young man, and also a serious injury to Trooper Shane Carney. This reminded us, really, and we were not really mindful of it most of the time, that there are real dangers in serving the UN as the Irish troops do. Yeah, my my deepest sympathies to the to the Rooney and, and Kearney families. Um, yes, there, there's an ever present threat in in Lebanon, and in all of the areas of operations that the Irish deploy to, they're all conflict zones, and things can happen very very quickly. And um, this is exemplar of that. You know, they just were in the wrong place at the wrong time, and uh, this appears to have been 
a part of a, a strategy on the part of Hezbollah um, to deny UN freedom of action in its area of operations. And, you know, these were soldiers, Irish soldiers, you know, going about their business. It was an unprovoked attack on peacekeepers who are trying to help the local population. Yes. Um, so it's 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 very tragic. And, you know, Eamon, if you look at Irish casualties in Lebanon over the years and the dozens that have been killed there, approximately 50% of our casualties there have been inflicted by either the Israelis or Israeli-backed militias and the other 50% by Islamic resistance groups. Yes. Um, so it, it really underscores the fact that we're, uh, you know, human shields in yes. that conflict, impartial, yes. neutral uh, people trying to keep the peace and pa- and paying the price from from both sides. But a terribly, terribly tragic um, incident. And um, my, my thoughts are with the families and with the Defence Forces community. As indeed are ours, and I'm sure the thoughts of all our listeners in this new year period with the Rooney and Kearney uh, families. The wider picture Tom, from the Ukraine, continues to be uh, fascinating in a bad way. Uh, this weekend, we learned, for example, that Ukraine are claiming they may well have killed 500 Russian soldiers or more in, in a strike, which was facilitated by weaponry uh, they've had from the West, or HIMAR missiles, which can inflict devastation wherever they fly. And the Russians admit, which they rarely do, to 63 deaths. But the United States intelligence and Ukrainian intelligence estimate somewhere between 400 Russian soldiers may have died and 300 uh, may have been injured. This is a serious weapon, clearly. It does does not reflect the sense that on the battlefield, despite the carnage, artillery from Russia can inflict and is inflicting on Ukraine and the cities and civilian populations. When it comes to warfare and the battlefield, Ukraine are more than holding their own? Yeah, I think if there's so much misinformation and disinformation and propaganda in the, the narrative of this conflict, I think it's really useful to look at the evidence such as it is, you know, what the facts on the ground and what we know. And I think that attack uh, at Makivka, um, where Russian soldiers, presumably these were reservists on their way up to the line that had been concentrated right. in, in a former vocational college. So that, ha- that, that, that HIMARS, high mobility artillery rocket system attack happened on New Year's Eve. And it is believed that the Ukrainians delivered four of the projectiles, high explosive projectiles, onto that vocational college, killing um, possibly hundreds of, of Russian troops. Now, in the awful calculus, if the Russians claim 63 killed in action and the United States and Ukraine are saying four or 500, the truth is likely halfway, somewhere halfway between. So you're talking about uh, at least two to 300 um, dead. Now, take that in the context of massed drone attacks on the part of the Russians Yes, um, at the U- Ukrainian capital. And uh, Vitaly Klitschko, the, the, the mayor of Kiev, said that on New Year's night, at the same time that the, this, the Ukrainian attack, that 40 drones, these are these uh, Iranian drones, were destroyed by their air defense systems. 
So the Ukrainians are sending Russia and the Russian people a very, very clear message. You can continue to send your, you know, these are the equivalent of the doodle bug fired by the by, by the, the Nazis at the end of World War II. You can fire these at us. We're not going to give up and we will respond in kind, but we will respond in a way that will inflict very serious casualties. So it shows the difference in terms of technology that either side have. You know, the, the Iranian drones, these uh, Shahed um, drones, they're known as Geran 2 um, by, by the, the Russian operators. Um, they, they have a, an explosive payload of about 30 to 50 kilograms, but they're flying on a platform, an, an airborne platform with a piston engine that travels at just 185 kilometers per hour, about 115 miles an hour. Um, so they're easily detected and intercepted. And even though those Iranian munitions can loiter a little bit in the sense that when they get to the last part of their trajectory, they, they can they can be sent GPS details to, for, for a specific target. They're, they're a pretty blunt and primitive instrument. And that's what the Russians are using. And I don't know how many of these they have. The Iranians have admitted um, General Hossein Salami of the uh, Iranian Republican Guards has admitted that they have provided training to what he called a foreign power who has acquired, acquired hundreds of these drones. But I think the use of these under the supervision of General Sergei Surovikin, or you know, who yes. oversaw their their uh, air campaign, which was essentially an air campaign in Syria to destroy towns and and villages. It shows that they're unable to meaningfully intervene on the ground with ground forces. Right. And if this is going to be, and you know, then for, you know, 40 drones fired at Kiev with little to no, apart from the fear and the terror that it inflicts. And then the Ukrainians respond on the same night with four HIMARS projectiles killing, you know, possibly as many as three or 400 Russian troops. That's a very, very clear signal about um, the state of play on the, on the ground. And, you know, the, the concentration of troops in Donetsk like that is such a, a tactical error. And I can only assume that these are reservists who are being pushed up to the front. Now, we had that partial mobilization, uh, I mean, you recall, back in uh, November, where they, they hoped, Putin hoped to mobilize up to 300,000 reservists. And I was saying to you at the time, it'll take a while for them to arrive and materialize in the front. There, we, we haven't yet seen no, no credible um, reinforced, you know, maneuver arm has appeared on the battlefield from, from Russia's perspective. And so what happens next uh, over the over the winter is going to be, um, you, you know, I think the, the pressure will be on the Ukrainians to, to, to maintain their initiative and to possibly mount a winter offensive. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Med- Medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Yes, now, one of the issues that affects this war uh, concerns the supply of weaponry, as well as other aid by the West to Ukraine. There's a Western air defense system known as NASAM, which has been central to defending Kiev, the capital, according to Ukrainian sources. But these missiles that the Nassams use, they cost a million dollars each. The drones that the Iranians have given the Russians cost $20,000. The point I want to get to is there is unanimity in terms of showing solidarity from the West for Ukraine. However, there are costs and when Zelensky went to Washington last week, he was looking for stuff. He got some of it. He didn't get the rest of it. And that is a kind of, it's a litmus test, really, isn't it, of the degree to which even the United States and Europe are prepared to spend money or anything else supporting Ukraine, even though there is a general understanding this is a war that we cannot afford to let Ukraine lose. Again, you know, if we look if we look at the facts on the ground, um, Zelensky was hosted in Washington by yes. by President Biden, and they did commit billions in renewed aid and investment in weapons and weapon systems and so on. Um, they also uh, the the European Union has has signed off on what they're calling macro financial aid from the EU, which will kick in in this January now, the, the, the first month of the new year. Really, to, 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 to have a victory in Ukraine, they have to prevent Russia from winning. And Russia, every hand that Putin has played in this war, which has been in three kind of distinct phases so far, the first opening phase where he tried to launch a blitzkrieg attack using yes. armor to get down to Kiev from Belarus and the Russian border. That failed. Then his um, reorganization of his uh, troops to try and really take all of the Luhansk and Donetsk oblasts. That has failed. The only sort of victory, if you could call it that, that Putin has achieved is, is securing a land corridor across the Zaporizhia um, oblast towards Mariupol, which b- provides a land corridor from Russia proper down to Crimea. 
But that land corridor is now under pressure because of the the retaking of Kherson by um, by Zelensky's troops, his forces, back in November. And those pictures of Zelensky walking in the in the central square in um, in Kherson sent again a very clear signal to the Russians and to Putin and to the Kremlin that they are very confident uh, in their security and that they can hold that ground. And I think we have to be very careful about some of the, the coverage and some of the analysis that, you know, I, the, the renewed missile attacks on Kiev and Kherson have been interpreted by some in the media as an attempt to retake those cities. They're not. The, the, only, the only evidence of an attempt to retake ground is the movement of ground forces, armour, uh, infantry units in, in very large formations. And we haven't seen anything like that from the from the from Putin's side. And so there are now two key um, axes of advance on the part of the Ukrainians. One is along um, a line from Svatove to Krimina down to Bakhmut in the Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts up in, in the yeah, north. Bakhmut, so it's just, Bakhmut is a key place, isn't it? It is because it, if, Why? If, if the Ukrainians break through at Bakhmut, they could link up with their troops further south that have recently taken Kherson, and that would really threaten that land corridor. Then you could have a kind of a two-pronged advance across through Melitopol towards Berdyansk and putting pressure on Russian forces north of that to to actually sever that land corridor. Now, if I was President Zelensky and I wanted a victory and a platform for negotiation to deny Putin any positive outcome from this uh, conflict, that's that's that would be my objective. And so there, another feature of the international media coverage has been a prediction, a generalized prediction that the war will grind to a halt in the winter. Um, that, but, but actually, if you look at the history of conflict in that region, there have always been winter offensives, major winter offensives, going right back to Operation Uranus, the, the battles of the Dnieper, uh, the, the Soviet winter offensive in 1945, 1942. So I think that there, there will be a winter offensive. And based on the evidence, there being no credibly assembled new Russian force. And given the recent successes on the ground uh, enjoyed by the Ukrainians and their recent messages in terms of those very precise attacks on Russian forces, um, th- this is, I think, will be an opportunity before the one-year anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine for Zelensky to deliver some sort of a propaganda victory, which will, you know, I think, enhance their capacity to negotiate. And because this conflict has to come to an end one way or the other, it's unsustainable for Russia now in terms of losses and in terms of the cost of it. And I think the fact that they're using these clapped-out Iranian drones as opposed to cruise missiles and precision munitions is, is evidence of that. And also, you know, the, the losses on the Ukrainian side, which we don't know about, must be absolutely enormous. Uh, and they, w- they, they will retain the motivation to fight because they're liberating their homeland. Um, but, you know, the, the, the conflict has to come to some sort of a conclusion. And when that moment arrives, given how bullish Zelensky has been about wanting everything back, all of his country, and that includes the Donbass, which since 2014 the Russians have controlled. It also conceivably includes Crimea. 
is it likely that the West will have to say to Zelensky, no, at some point, you've got to negotiate. And at that point, is that's a danger point, isn't it? Because he has been, as far as I can discern, and most people can discern, a brilliant war leader. And he has reached not just his own people, but the world, the wider world, which has been impressed with him and his cleverness, really, in fighting off the Russians. At some point, is he likely to come into conflict because the Americans aren't giving him certain weaponry and there's, there's conflicts of interests there, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, I think real politic will will kick in here. Zelensky has been extraordinarily successful uh, in that this was supposed to be a three-day war. Yeah. The Putin expect, fully expected his quite modest force of about 150,000 troops, which he split into three, three separate. I mean, this goes against all conventional military wisdom, but it, it just shows how wildly ambitious and how wildly um, their intelligence estimate was was so incorrect. So they um, that advance on Kiev, when, when the Russians sent their special forces to take the airport in Kiev and they were repelled by local forces, that allowed Zelensky's administration to survive. And then their military responded. You know, if you recall that 62-kilometer convoy of Russian armour which was, yes. you know, essentially halted and was ambushed in detail and destroyed in detail. They were forced to withdraw. They were forced, the Russians were forced to withdraw from around um, Kharkiv in that lightning attack that took place in September, the surprise attack. And then the more deliberate, uh, conventional, grinding, attritional assault on Kherson removed Russians from the, the, the Russian military from very heavily defended uh, positions. You know, all of these things show that um, the intelligence estimate on Putin's side has been incorrect. He also totally misunderstood the the cohesion that NATO had and that the European Union had. Um, So I don't think that um, the West or the United States or NATO or the European Union will uh, necessarily disagree with Zelensky's um, policy or strategy of trying to liberate as much of, of Ukraine as possible. But they will be conscious that, that they don't want to see an escalation. They don't want to see uh, other NATO states being drawn drawn into yes. the conflict. So the, the Russians have, interestingly, in Belarus, it's reported that they have now begun to um, send approximately twenty to 30,000 estimates vary to Belarus with some troops at Brest, n- not far from the border with Poland. Yes, and even some rumours that Belarusian forces might be persuaded to invade um, Ukraine from the north. I mean, I think if the, if that were to happen, they they would be absolutely destroyed. I think you'd have, you'd see mass surrender, defection to the to the Ukrainian side. I think that would completely destabilise um, Belarus, such as it is. So there's a kind of a um, a tension between. I don't think there's any doubt that. Um, there's there's absolute support for Zelensky because this invasion in Europe is is it, it it's it's a challenge to the European Union's values yes. as well as its interests and similarly with NATO and the United States and the transatlantic community where the values and the interests align in this case 
the tension will be in trying to prevent an escalation. And that's why from the very outset, Putin, conscious of that tension, threatened to use uh, nuclear weapons or a so-called smaller tactical nuclear weapon, you know, threatening the, 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 the prospect of escalation. So I think, I think we're going to get to a point in the next year where the, you know, real politic, like Putin and some of his generals have already begun to talk about their readiness to begin um, a meaningful negotiation on this. And uh, that would be my hope that at some point in, in the new year, um, having been denied a clear victory in Ukraine by the incredible bravery of the Ukrainian people, um, that common sense might prevail and that we might have a suspension of hostilities. There's an awful lot of generals and some oligarchs falling out of windows, Tom. I'm sure it hasn't escaped your notice in Russia. And uh, it's clear that they have been taken out by the regime. That would be, I suppose, Putin's uh, modus operandi. But I want to ask you a question that many people, uh, including, well, I, I wonder about it, and many people do, I think. The Russians are having a free go here in many ways with this fella, Sorovakin, the uh, general Armageddon, as he's known. He destroyed Syria, hospitals, schools, uh, everything. He did the same in Chechnya, and he's engaged now in this, uh, these artillery attacks uh, on the power supplies and other strategic non-military parts of Ukraine. What is compelling the West to stand idly by and allow a country that is a member of the United Nations, uh, a permanent member of the United Nations Security Council, to conduct this attempt to annihilate a, 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 a neighboring country which has sought to join the EU? What is it? Is it the fear of escalation that can't be controlled and becomes nuclear war? Is that the Yeah, I believe so. I think it's it's the threat of escalation. In any normal state of affairs, um this offensive such as it is, you know, it constitutes a war crime. And and yes. the way that um Suravakin is conducting his campaign of air, air you know, indiscriminate airstrikes targeting civilian infrastructure and civilian yes. objects, these these are all war crimes. And in any normal state of affairs, there would be a very uh, unequivocal and, uh, you know, united response to that. But unfortunately, what makes this conflict different is that the the belligerent, uh, Vladimir Putin, has nuclear weapons and he has demonstrated his willingness um, to use weapons of mass destruction in the past. He's used chemical weapons in other areas in Syria and has used uh, radioactive um, agents um, to to target people, even, even in countries like the UK. So you're dealing with somebody who's ready, willing, and able to use weapons of mass destruction. So that that tempers the, the, the collective response of the West to prevent an escalation. There's also the fact that um, I think in any other jurisdiction, uh, Putin would have would have had to resign or step aside given his intelligence failings. Yes. But unfortunately, the Kremlin isn't a democracy. You, you know, you can't affect regime change by the normal means or the means that we'd be familiar with in the West. Yes. And so, you know, unfortunately for, for, for Russians, they're caught in lockstep 
with the the policies and actions of the oligarchs and and you know the, the, the those in the, in the Kremlin that would empower Putin. It's a great tragedy for for the Russian people. Principally and foremost, it's a tragedy for Ukraine. Um, but th- this is um, you know tens of thousands of young Ukrainians and uh, Russians have died in this conflict at the behest of the world's wealthiest oligarchs. In yes. what seems to have been, uh, you know, a vanity project, but you know, hopefully, and uh, because of the unsustainable nature of what's happening, this, and unfortunately, Ukraine are fighting the, the 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 not just the war for Ukraine, but the war for for the values of of the European Union and well, other very NATO much member so. states, and they're paying the price. Yeah, and just a final question, uh, Tom. As you say, Ukraine is fighting for Western values and against the worst form of authoritarianism how do you see this ending if you if if or, or is that an unfair question to ask and in all wars in the end well not i you you know better than me um, football is my thing tom not wars <laughs> but uh, people say i hear it being said that all wars end in negotiation in the end i'm not sure if that's true some wars end with the enemy being vanquished. Will there be a vanquished end to this one or the other, uh, or will it have to be negotiated? And can, in all conscience, after all the crimes the Putin war has inflicted, can they be allowed to walk away from it having done the dreadful things they've done? To answer to answer that question, I you know, I think we we live in that space between hope and fear for for most of our lives. Yes, and I'd answer that question as not just as a as a security analyst or a retired military person, but also as a, as a parent of, yes. of of teenagers and people in their you know young, young adults in their twenties. You, you have a you have a power here in the Kremlin that has a history of invasion, like they invaded Poland. With, yes, with, with, and they collaborated with the Nazis to invade Poland. They've deported hundreds of thousands of people right up into the fifties, the nineteen fifties, yes. from that region to other parts of the, the the former Soviet Union. It is an area, the North European Plain, that has been uh, a real geopolitical uh, kind of pinch point or p- point of crisis for, for across the, you know, that that line between Europe right into Moscow. And and for Russia, you know, Putin isn't going to be around forever. If he continues to purge, he'll eventually get to a, a tier of people who know that within a week or a month, they and yes. their families in turn will be purged. So, you know, that, that again, people falling from hotel windows is evidence of a regime that is in its, in its end phase. Right. So in terms of hope and fear, my hope is that this, that, that Putin um, can, and his, and those who empower him can somehow be brought to see sense and bring this to an end for now. And my fear would be of of a, a wider or broader escalation that that Putin might be persuaded to do something rash in terms of the use of a nuclear weapon or the targeting of a of a nuclear plant like Saporizia yes. um, as a kind of a two figures to the West and a kind of a, a way of sealing his legacy as as the great hard man of Russia. But at the end of the day, you know, Russia will be around for hundreds of years, as will the Ukraine. And it's that we can get some sort of a of, a, of an arrangement that can bring this to an end without escalation. 
And then I do believe, Eamon, that if there is massive investment in Ukraine after this conflict, and if Ukraine becomes a very successful member of the European Union, that will do more than yes, any weapon indeed. system to to undermine that kind of uh, feudal hierarchical system of power in, in, in Russia. Thank you very much, Don. And I think that last point you made is very, very profound uh, and it's not far from Putin's mind uh, at any given moment. Very grateful to Tom Clonan, Tom's security analyst and a senator. And we're grateful to Tom, to all of you for listening. We wish Tom a happy new year and all of you a happy new year. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.